Paragon 7 Studios. Vandana Pandita from Amera Health. I always love talking, so we're, we're broadcasting live here, kind of winding down my coverage here at Rise in Nashville 2020. It's great to see everybody out here, all of my colleagues, people that I respect, people I look up to, people who have been in this business longer than me, people that are much smarter than me, um, people that have run health plans all over the country. But I always love talking to individuals like yourself who run both the HEDIS and the risk adjustment programs. Because at some organizations, HEDIS is in one building, risk adjustment is in another building. People have no idea that, hey, I could use the same chart for, or the same interaction with a member. I can close the HEDIS gap. I can close the potential caps issue. Um, and, and also, he or she who is heavily involved with both risk adjustment and HEDIS is heavily involved in value-based care, which is my favorite thing to do in healthcare is to write. So I love going directly to the contracts and saying that, hey, we're gonna write value-based care initiatives that are germane to support HEDIS and to support risk recapture so that there's skin in the game with the provider groups to, to do this. So so great to have you on the show. We've been communicating via LinkedIn for, for a long time. I was, I was gonna come down, I've been through so much in, in my family and then with COVID and just all of this stuff. So, but it's great that, that we survived and, and we made it back. It's, uh, this is the first conference where I feel that there are a lot of people here and it's, it's a real conference. It's not one of the small uh, conferences. So great to have you on, on the show. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Thank you for inviting me. Tell us about your background before, before we get into uh, you know, some of the specificity about the conference itself. But uh, tell us about your background. When you were, when you were eight years old, <laughs> were you thinking that, um, hey, when I, when I grow up, I want to be a quality executive and I want to learn the HCC V22 model and um, I want to learn ICD-10 and ICD-11 <laughs> and, and I want to sit in meetings talking about osteoporosis screenings and colorectal screenings and, and getting a statin for someone who's a diabetic, you know, and, and running all of those metrics. How did you how did you get into this into this world? Yeah, I can't say that I was thinking about all, all right. of that at I know, eight, I know unfortunately. I, wasn't. I, I, wasn't. Um, I wish I had been in some all respects. Right. I mean, I think it would have um, positioned me a little differently, but I um, I got into uh, kind of the quality arena when I was in graduate school. I uh, did my master's degree at UCLA in right. public health and had the opportunity. One of the best schools in the country. Thank you. Um, had the opportunity to work at a health plan locally there. Now, are you from the West Coast? From the West Coast, okay. yeah. All and right. so, um, and got involved in quality. And right. um, I, I kind of veered towards staying within quality and love the opportunity of intersecting um, the patient experience with data nice. and really how do you use that data to create insights nice. to change outcomes. Nice. What have you seen um, over the years? I think that at this conference, I'm curious of your thoughts as someone, it's funny because I've been coming to Rise for almost 15 years now and 
I remember coming in, not really knowing the industry, being kind of one of the young upstarts and, and just trying to learn and shadowing senior executives and wanting to know. And my mentor, one of my mentors said, he was like, well, now, James, you're one of the old guys here. It's like, you're one of the people that have been around for a long time. It's like, people are coming up to you and asking you questions. It's just, it's just very interesting because I remember coming here in 08, 09. It's just yeah. completely different. Tell us about, what do you think about the, the fact that the pendulum is swinging really into these audits with the OIG stuff, with the, with the data management. I think that if you are a quality risk adjustment and HEDIS executive, you have so many data points. You have EDS, you have um, your NCQA auditor, you have to really be responsible for all of the sources of supplemental data mm -hmm. and claims as well. Even if mm -hmm. claims doesn't report to you, you have to have your fingers on the pulse of all of those things. What do you think about where we're going with audits and just how data integrity has become kind of the top uh, topic here? I think last year was social determinants of health, mm -hmm. now it's data integrity. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, being a data geek, self-professed data geek, I think, I think the audit is important. Um, I think that we, we get volumes and volumes of data and to be ensure that we as plans are using it appropriately, effectively, accurately and transparently is, is critical to our business, not only as it relates to CMS uh, in the Medicare risk adjustment world or where I am in terms of Medicaid risk adjustment with our state partners or with NCQA as it right. relates to quality data. Right. Tell us a little bit about um, AmeriHealth. What states do you operate in? I think it's always interesting when you're talking to someone that's at um, a plan that only operates in one state versus a plan that operates in multiple states. Mm -hmm. You have to have completely different compliance, um, especially if you're in the Medicaid market. Medicaid is completely different from state to state. Uh, tell us a little bit about your plan and what are some of the states that you that you guys operate yeah, in? Yeah, we operate up and down the eastern seaboard, okay. so anywhere from New Hampshire down to Louisiana and Florida. Okay. Um, and uh, it is very much that. It's a very standardized, customized approach yeah. to quality and Medicaid risk adjustment. I think risk adjustment in whether it's Medicaid or Medicare is a little easier to have a standardized approach because because it's about that data capture, whether you're reconfirming or identifying suspects or, um, you know, identifying new targets, new, new conditions in a member's experience. With quality, it's very different because our right. state partners, um, every state likes to be unique. Every state wants to be a little different. And every state uh, comes up with, you know, some nuance to its metrics right. or nuance to what's important to their population. So we, we are very focused on... Um, using data effectively, kind of creating those those standardizations, but also being cognizant of what's important to our our partners and our clients. Interesting. When you lead a large vertical, you know, one of the um, I always love having executives on, not just to talk about risk adjustment and talk about stars and talk about the CAP survey and the health outcome survey and and, and all of the statistical metrics that run parallel to those things. But I'm very interested in having people that are leaders and talk about leadership. Um, how do you build teams? Uh, what, do you, what do you do 
to kind of stand out, and especially as a woman, um, you know, especially as a woman of color. Um, it's, it's very difficult for women in this industry and across the board that are in executive roles, uh, many times not taken as seriously, not paid fair, not treated fair. But I've talked to, I've interviewed so many great leaders uh, today at this conference and just over the course of, of this show, people that are out leading in the front, people that are doing innovative things and, and fantastic things. What are some of the pillars and cornerstones that you have for leadership and how you how you build teams and how you build culture? Sure, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, uh, I believe really strongly in um, being a leader for my team. Uh, I believe that 51% of my job is to, mm. is to ensure that they are set up for success and that I'm there to be their block and tackle, their wow. support. Um, sometimes I'm their, their vent, you know, their, their phone a friend call. Um, and I think that's really important because we all, need, we all need to be able to phone a friend at any given time. I think the other thing that's really important is humility and transparency. Um, I, am, I am only as good as my team and I believe that and, uh, and I operate that way. Um, on a daily basis, and I hope, I hope that my team would feel the same way. I think I have an amazing team, and I think um, I'm the first person to say that any of the success that we've had as an organization since I've been there has been to the to the really the credit of my team and their hard work. Wow, what is the what is the transition for you? What was it like during COVID, leading an organization? Oh, during COVID is when I decided. I was like, you know what? I don't want to go back to being in an office 70 hours a week. And you know, I decided to start my own company. What was it like transitioning during COVID, not being in the office, being on the Zoom calls, yeah. still motivating your staff, motivating people that are going through depression, yeah. motivating people that may have lost a loved one to COVID, motivating people that are going through the family perils of being trapped in the house. How did you balance that as a leader? Yeah, that's a, that was a tough time. I, yeah. It's it's interesting that you asked that because two years later we're so focused on on the reentry right. that we almost have forgotten Forgot, the the time when we were really moving out. Um, I spent a lot of time on the phone. Okay. I I had calls. I would do kind of town hall or um, weekly sessions or monthly sessions with the broader team. Uh, the hardest thing for us and for much of my team was we went into lockdown in the heat of heat of season. Oh yeah. So not right only yeah, not only right. were we going through lockdown and families challenged with the multiple um, fronts of COVID and lockdown and kids at home and spouses right. at home and whatnot, we were also still pursuing records, right. and my teams were having to make hard pivots on a regular day. Wow because of those those various pursuits it, it was it was a challenge it was it was an intense intense period and I again I would say to the credit of my leaders on my team we made it through okay. successfully and really it's it, it was many hard long calls I can hear it in your voice that, you know? that is definitely uh, draining what would you say? Uh, what would you say are some of the best practices? I mean, there are, there's so many brilliant people here, and I love coming to Rise because, like I said, there's so many people that have been in this industry for a long time. And and I, the, what I had to learn the most, I was really good with vendor management. I was really good at getting charts and, and really good at submitting and, and all of that stuff, you know, the data side of it. When I became an executive, I was bad with, um, I, I had a very uh, poor sense of, 
actually caring and, and nurturing for people. It's just, I, I didn't have the soft skills. That's the word that I was looking for. I was just a pure submission HCC <laughs> person. Just like, hey, you know, if I get the breast cancer, if I, if I can get the, the, the radiology image, <laughs> I can yeah. get it submitted yeah. and push through and the auditor will take it and I'll, and I'll be fine. I had to learn about emotional intelligence. I really had to learn, so it's great for you to share that story. I mean, I think that um, I didn't have to go through that because I was exiting as COVID was coming in, but it really takes emotional intelligence to be an elite leader. It's not just about being the smartest person in the room or being the best at submitting or the best at managing or doing contracts. You gotta have the, that emotional intelligence. Well, anyone can chase after the data point, that's right? right? And so, and that's what, uh, whether it's a, a care gap or a reconfirmation right. for an HCC or for a a condition, anyone can chase after the data gap. And we have to remember that the people that are chasing and the people that we're chasing after are people, right. are humans, and, yeah. and there's, there's sensitivities that have to be recognized. On guard, I'll let you try my Wu-Tang style. A.K.A. the Paragon of Sports Talk Excellence, A.K.A. the Heisenberg of Broadcast Radio, A.K.A. the Wolf of Wall Street. Listen to me weekdays now at 11 a.m. on WOL 95.9 FM in the DMV, brought to you by our partners at Episource, the nation's leader in healthcare analytics and strategic support for Medicare risk adjustment programs. And Doug. Got a couple of bogeys on your six, Limo. They need customized car insurance from Liberty Mutual, so they only pay for what they need. What do you say we see what this bird can do? Woo! We are not getting you a helicopter. Looks like we're walking, kid. Only pay for what you need. Liberty, 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 Liberty.